Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Let's just say with no sports in my life, it's been great to reconnect with my all-time favorite TV show. So not only am I in the middle now of rewatching, which is just incredible to do, But I have discovered a Sopranos podcast with two of my favorite characters. We had Stevie Sharippa on the show yesterday. Now we welcome in Michael Imperioli, Christopher Maltesanti, Mike Johnson-Stremski. Appreciate the time. This is going to be a lot of fun. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing okay. Thanks for having me today, buddy. Well, it's good to have you. And listen, Mike, let's start here. I had Steve on the show yesterday, and we're a sports radio station. And the calls from New Yorkers flood in, wanting to talk Sopranos. And listen, I'm in my glory. There's no games to break down right now. So I got no problem. I'm breaking down the ending. I'm breaking down, you know, episodes, whether it's Pine Barrens, you name it. Does it amaze you? And we know how great, you know, the show continues to hold up over time. But does it amaze you that, like, the popularity 15, 20 years later, still there? Yeah. Without a doubt, it amazes me. And and particularly what's amazing in the last like year and a half or so is the amount of young people, like late teens, 20s, early 30s, who are obsessed with the show, who were too young to watch it when it was first on the air and who discovered it now on streaming, on their you know iPads or on their phones or whatever, and are kind of rabid, crazy fans. And that, that doesn't happen every show. I don't think there's any question. Now, as far as getting involved with the podcast with Steve, what gave you the idea, Mike, to go down this rabbit hole? Well, we were approached, actually. It wasn't our idea. We were approached by three different producers, uh, kind of at the same time. And they knew Steve and I had to do a live, inside-the-actor-studio type show on stage. We've done it all over the country. We've done it in Australia. We were going to do it in England this month, but that's postponed. Um, so Steve and I talked about it, and um, especially because of all these new young fans who were the podcast generation, we said, well, this may actually work. Might find an audience. And um, our plan was to go into the studio at the end of March. In the middle of March, the whole world changed, and we weren't going to do it at all. We were going to just put it off till everything went back to normal. But we started hearing... 
uh, from fans saying, hey, where's the podcast? We heard you were doing it. Now it's what's happening. We want it. And we got a lot of, you know, messages like that. So we found a way to do it remotely. Mike, full disclosure, I got into the show probably around 2002, 2003. So I was able, you know, with the beauty of, you know, TiVo and DVR, go back from the beginning, and then you rewatch it the second time, you pick up on stuff. You rewatch it the third time, you pick up on more stuff. But as someone who was in it from the beginning, when was the moment for you? Maybe it was the first time you guys were all together. Maybe it was, you know, midway through the first season, end of the first season. When, as a part of the show, did it, like, dawn on you, holy smokes, I'm involved in something really, really special? Um, it was during, in the middle of shooting season one. Now, we shot the pilot summer 97. We went back a year later to shoot the rest of season one, you know, when, when HBO approved the pilot. And um, during the first season, while we were shooting, every script kept getting better. You know, it was, it was good from the beginning, but, like, script after script that first season was getting more intricate and more complicated and these other characters coming into play. And I was just blown away by these scripts. And I was like, we're on to something really special. Whether or not people are going to watch it was a whole other thing because it really wasn't hit series on cable then, you know? And not a lot of people were watching HBO besides, like, to watch movies and boxing. So um, we weren't sure what was going to happen. And then when it went on the air, the reviews were through the roof, and the fans kind of followed from there. We got the great Michael Imperioli, Christopher Maltesanti on The Sopranos. He and Steve Sharipa doing a Talking Sopranos podcast that I actually fell asleep to yesterday, Mike. Now, listen, I work till 6 o'clock in the morning. I-, I can't wait to hear you with David Chase. But listen, five or ten minutes in, you know, duty calls. Now I got to go back and re-listen. Now, your character as a whole, I love the arc. I love the subplots. I love the relationship with your wife and, you know, the combative, fiery, you know, intense back and forth that you would have between the two. What was your overall takeaway in, like, trying to portray and trying to represent Christopher? Like, what was the most important thing you felt you needed to do in trying to, like, convey to the audience exactly what David is writing here in this character? Well, that's a really good question. I mean... One of the most important things about that character to me was that he always tried really hard. Um, you know, he was interested in maybe writing movies and making movies, and he learned how to write screenplays and took an acting class and actually produced a movie and bought screenwriting software and put in the work. He wanted to be a monster, and he put in the day-to-day grind of that, doing what the boss says and being loyal and all these things. Uh, he had a lot of struggles with addiction, and he tried to get sober. He went to, you know, through 12-step and recovery. He had a relationship with a woman he loved. He tried to make that work. Like, he failed miserably at a lot of these things, too, but he, did, he didn't just expect everything to be handed to him all the time. And that, I would say, is the quality that I, I respected a lot and gave me a lot of momentum to play, you know. How were you able to keep a straight face? My buddy wanted me to ask this question. I was actually right on the same wavelength. In shooting the scene with the dog, Mike, was that like one of those scenes where it's like impossible to keep a straight face? Because I'm still dying thinking about it, to be honest with you. It was pretty funny. And the the doll, well, the dog was a doll or something. But they made the tongue. So when when you see the dog dead, the tongue's kind of hanging out because the dog's suffocated. And they made the tongue. The top guy made the tongue out of prosciutto, 
<laughs> which was which made me even laugh even more. But um, you know, like I was saying, Steve and I have done this stage show. You know, we've also did it, did it with Vinnie Pastore. You know, where, where the audience gets to ask us questions, and sometimes they don't ask questions; they just like want to talk. And you don't know how often somebody complains at the dog being killed. Like it was okay that you know. I murdered brutally 20 guys in cold blood or whatever. That's all okay. But that one dog that I sat on, people are just furious. It stirs up a lot of resentment and bad feelings. Give me a break. I mean, that's amateur hour at its finest. Now, I asked Steve this question yesterday, and he happened to bring up my favorite episode. And I got to be honest, Mike, I was surprised just because – it seems very cliche. I feel like a lot of Sopranos fans are going to bring up the Pine Barrens episode. And the other one I love is because I'm a poker guy it is the one with the uh, the guy in the sporting goods store and Tony ends up taking the car and gives it to Meadow. I can't get enough of that episode. But for you as a part of the show, what is the favorite episode for you when you think about all the episodes you were a part of, all the episodes you worked on, acted on, directed on, you name it. Do you have a favorite? Um, the Pine Barrens was a lot of fun, just because me and Sirico got to be the ultimate, like, fish, fishes out of water, um, which was really fun, and, and, and by then, Tony and I had become very close, and we just enjoyed, you know, acting that kind of slapstick, crazy comedy, it was, it was just, uh, it was cold as hell, and it was long days, but we had an awful lot of fun now, the relationship and the ultimate death of your wife on the show. Obviously, you guys are seeing the scripts ahead of time, but do you have a sense the show is going in that direction when she's turning into an informant? Like, as you're getting more and more info, as you're getting ready to shoot, uh, Mike, was that like a stunner for you or not really? Well, I, I knew a long time before it was shot. I knew sooner than most of the other actors, probably more than any of the actors, because I was involved in, in writing some of the scripts. So, um, you know, I knew it. I thought it was... You know, the, the sad part of that, when, when someone would be killed off the show, was that you knew you weren't going to see them at work the next day. That was the sad part. It wasn't so much that the character was going or that person was gonna, the character was going to die. Was, you weren't going to see that person at work. And I felt that thing... Same thing with Jay when we, when we, you know, when they were shooting those scenes. Like, even for me, you know, the last season, I get killed. But that wasn't the last scene I shot. You know, very often she got a sequence. The last scene I shot was like a week after that, and it wasn't, wasn't even a very intense or emotional scene. But it was emotionally, emotional for me because I knew I wasn't going to see these people every day anymore. You know, it wasn't so much Christopher got killed off at that. It's more the personal feelings, you know, that you had about all these this team that you were a part of for so long, you know, and, and that coming to an end. And that that was tough. Were you happy as a whole, Mike, with the way the career arc or the character arc, I should say, ended up going for Christopher? Like, were you okay with the way that storyline ended up concluding? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, that, that character just... Uh, really developed and evolved over time. But if you look at the pilot, the first couple of episodes, he's really very much a kid. And, you know, over the course of the series, you know, she definitely matured in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, and changed and evolved. And, and 
you know, that character got to experience such a range of conditions and emotions and situations. I mean, it was a, a never-ending source of, you know, challenge for an actor. And uh, it was it was wonderful, wonderful experience on every level. We got the great Michael Imperioli, Christopher Maltesanti from The Sopranos, and they got an unbelievable podcast right now. Steve Sherp and Mike doing Talking Sopranos. Find it on Spotify, anywhere you can find a podcast for that matter. I'm sure you get this question ten zillion times, and it just comes with the territory. And I'll be honest, Mike, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you this question. When it comes to the ending of the show, I have to admit, I'm watching it in 2007. I'm watching it at a cigar bar, and I kid you not, when the final scene hits, I thought the cable went out in the place, and I'm yelling and screaming. I'm like, "What is wrong? What what the hell are they doing with their cable?" And then, sure enough, you see the HBO credits. Now, the first watch, I'll be honest, I didn't love it. Now, more and more, I absolutely love the ending. I think it's great. I think it leaves it up to interpretation. So, I mean, you get the inside of scoop of what's going on with this show. What was your initial reaction when you know how the show is going to end? Well, I heard about David's idea for a, a, a while before, at least a year before, maybe longer. But I, I didn't quite understand what he meant. And when I saw it for the first time, I actually, we, a bunch of the actors watched it together. We were at a bigger a finale event in Hollywood, Florida, uh, at the Hard Rock, and we, you know, we had a big party, and then we went off, you know, in a private room, like 10 of us. And uh, I still was shocked, even though I kind of knew it, I still was shocked. Listen, what else could they, could they have done with that ending that would make people keep thinking about it and talking about it and discussing it 13 years later? Probably nothing. You know what I mean? I mean, so I always thought Tony died, right? So we were seeing things from his point of view in the last moments of his life. And then I remember reading an interview with David Chase, and he said something about connecting the ending to the song, to lyrics in the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing. The lyric goes, uh, oh, the movie never ends. It goes on and on and on and on. And that somehow is related to the ending. So I guess Tony Soprano still alive and well in New Jersey. I love the uh, the contrast between you and Steve because I was with you a thousand percent watching the episode. I think that's it for Tony. Steve was trying to convince me yesterday he's alive and well in New Jersey. So, you know, Mike, in general now, obviously losing James was crushing in, in so many ways because he was such a great actor. I'm sure you have just unbelievable insight of the one-on-one and the time you spent with him. Gut feel, if James was still around, would there have been a movie? I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I I don't really know. I don't know if that was ever talked about before he died. Um, I'm sure anything could happen. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, in some ways, it's we'll never know. But, um, you know, there is a prequel coming, uh, which focuses on Tony Soprano as a teenager. And uh, I think a, a, one of the main characters is Christopher Moltisante's father. In the, in the prequel movies because it takes place in the late 60s. So in some ways, we're going to have Tony Soprano back in some form. So that's cool. And that that's comes the way out it should be. I mean, let's be March. honest. Tony should live on forever every which way. Um, Mike, as far as working with James Gandolfini, is there one particular story? And I'm sure you have countless and I'm sure you have thousands. But for the New York audience here who adored this guy and adored you and all the characters for that matter, is there one story that, like, you keep going back to off screen, off air that you can't get enough of? 
Um, you know, it was my first day on the set. I didn't know him. I didn't really know his work that much either. I, I, I'd seen him in a play. That was the only work I knew of his. It was the first time we met. We were on the set, and I had to drive him in the scene. And I wound up smashing the car because I didn't know how to drive at the time. And I backed into a tree and smashed this Lexus really badly. He went, you know, jerked forward. Or it was the airbag went off. It was a disaster. My first day at work, I'm thinking they're going to fire me. This guy's a star. He thinks I'm an idiot. And there was this hush. And then all of a sudden, he started hysterically laughing. And I just looked at him. I was like, all right. We're going to be okay here. And uh, they brought another car over, a brand new one, the same thing, and said, do it again. That's how crazy Hollywood is. I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, I have to admit this, Mike, and I probably shouldn't be admitting this to you, but listen, I mean, we're on radio. We're having some fun. Why the hell not? You know, I'm watching The Sopranos for years, and I've seen Goodfellas, you know, countless times, countless times. And one day, I I forget when it was, it dawned on me, and it was like such a shocker, I was like, holy blank, Michael Imperioli, Christopher, is in Goodfellas, is Spider-Rico. Like, it, uh, that was like, the, maybe it's because I was too young, and all of a sudden it just, like, combined to hit me like a pound of bricks. How did that role in Goodfellas kind of prepare you in many ways for what was to come in this iconic show that is The Sopranos? Well, that was... The fourth movie I ever did, and the first three, the three before that were very little parts. I think the first one, they cut the line I had, and the other two were movies nobody saw anyway. But, uh, I mean, what that did for me was, you know, um, give me the confidence that I could work with the, the best in the business. You know, to me, at the time, you know, still even Scorsese and De Niro were, you know, two of the, you know, absolute tops of part of the reason why I became an actor. So to be able to work with them and the way they treated me with such respect and, you know, just made me feel like I belonged there, that I was an actor just like, you know, everyone else on the set. Scorsese especially, just making me feel, you know, at home and comfortable and encouraging. You know, that kind of experience gives you a lot of confidence, you know, that that you can, you know, you can hang with the best. And, uh, you know, I'm very grateful for that experience. It 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 was a big one for me. Mike, unbelievable stuff. Appreciate a couple of minutes. And I guess before we get you out of here, um, are you a sports guy at all? I know you're doing all sorts of projects. You got Hollywood, Sopranos, you name it. Um, you ever find time to sit down and watch a game or not? You know, I'm dying to see a baseball game. I mean, that makes two I'm of us, bro. That makes I'm two a, of us. I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan. I, I, my first Yankee game. My dad scalped tickets to Mickey Mantle Day, 1969. How about I still that? Have the, I have the pennant, the souvenir pennant from the from the game. I still have it. Um, so I've been a lifelong, you know, Yankee fan. And uh, you know, this time of year when the weather gets nice, um, you know, I was just hearing like a rebroadcast of a, of a game from you know with Jeter and Granderson. I forget what year. I just caught a little bit of it, but even just hearing the sound of the game, the announcer, and it's just like I miss the whole vibe of it, man. It's just not the same. Life's not the same without baseball. No, you're right. Who was your favorite Yankee growing up? Was it Mickey? Um, Reggie. Reggie. You were a Reggie guy. See, I feel like at that time, Mike, you were either a Reggie guy or a Thurman guy, right? Yeah, my best friend was a Thurman Munson guy at that. But I was, I mean... Reggie was like a superhero, you know? I mean, uh, he just, uh, bigger than life. And at the time, when I was a little kid, that was, 
that was a big deal. Michael, appreciate a couple of minutes. And one last time, if anybody wants to find the podcast, it's unbelievable. You and Stevie Sharippa, where can they find it online? Apple Podcasts, Spotify. If you want to watch it, and which is me and Steve, uh, you know, sitting at our <laughs> sitting at our desk talking to each other, you can watch it on YouTube. Michael, appreciate a couple of minutes, man. This was a ton of fun. And listen, I feel like I'm reliving the show, getting to talk to you and Steve. So this has been a thrill for me. Continued success, my man. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. And who knows, maybe we'll actually get to catch up and talk some baseball one of these days, you know? In person, live in the studio. Uh, I like that. Listen, anytime, anyplace, once we're you know, socially right. able to do so. Mike, appreciate Sounds it, man. Good. Take care. Thanks for having me. They have it. That's a great Michael Imperioli. That was unbelievable stuff. I mean, I could talk Sopranos for hours with that guy. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.